Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I received a card in the mail, a little postcard from my endodontist. You know, one of the signs of getting older is you have personal relationships with all kinds of medical specialists. I got a card in the mail from my endodontist, and it said, I still have a child who needs to go to college. Don't you need another root canal? No, it didn't actually say that. It said... It said, it's time to schedule up, schedule your follow-up exam for the root canal repair that was done in December. You know, root canal repair are words you don't want to have all in one sentence. <laughs> I'd had a root canal, and there had been a little problem, and uh, the root canal was quite a time ago, and there was a problem, and so they had to do another special procedure... <laughs> Believe me, it was really special to fix the problem. The blessing in all this was the problem was discovered by my dentist in a routine exam. They took an x-ray and they said, oh, you're developing a problem there. You need to go over here and have this thing done. And So they did it, and now it was time to have another x-ray to make sure six months later that the fix actually worked. And uh, I'm very happy to report that everything is fine I'm glad everything is fine because I want very much to hang on to my teeth. A good report at the dentist gives a measure of peace. But it's only a measure of peace until the next time you need to go to the dentist. And there will be a next time. But the peace that Christ gives is different. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not like the world gives. The peace of Christ is not like the peace that's common in our world. The peace that is common in our world is the peace when there's an absence of difficulty. And we all enjoy that kind of peace. It's it's wonderful when the grandkids come to visit and go to bed. (laughs) And it's peaceful for a very short while. That's earthly peace. Christ says, I didn't come to give you peace like that. I came to give you a different kind of peace. The last two weeks, we've been trying to understand how the life of Christ and the death of Christ bring us peace. And we understood that his life brings us peace because we we can see him handling temptation and testing, and we know that he understands us. So when we have difficulty, we can rely on him. We looked last week at the death of Christ and understood that we get peace from the death of Christ because his death took away our sin. We don't have to have guilt. We don't have to have anxiety over the things that we've done or the things that we may do. Christ has taken them away and we can have peace. Today we want to understand how the resurrection of Christ brings us peace. So follow please as I read 1 Corinthians 15, the first 20 verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, and then by the twelve. And after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain until the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, 
Last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be an apostle because I was persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he has become the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Christ enables peace in us because it reveals a proven Savior. By God's inspiration, the Apostle Paul said, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, he is not the Savior. But if he has been raised from the dead, he is the Savior. If he has not been raised from the dead, we are wasting our time. We had a nice breakfast, we should all just go home and not waste any more time if Christ is not raised from the dead. Why is this such a big deal? I'll tell you why. Because Christ made some significant claims. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed that he could forgive sin. He claimed he could fulfill human life. He claimed he was destined to be the king of the world. He claimed he would prepare a place for me and for you in heaven. He claimed he would come and receive me to himself. He claimed that I must believe in him to become a child of God, and to receive these promised blessings. And he declared that he would prove these claims by the greatest miracle ever. And that is the resurrection from the dead. In Matthew 12, we read this, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. A sign was a miracle in the Bible that was not just a miracle for enjoyment or blessing. It was a miracle that pointed to something being valid, in particular the words of a prophet. And so they said, you, you claim to be able to predict things, to do things. You claim you are the Son of God. Give us a miracle that points to the truthfulness of what you say. He answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. The first thing that he said to them was this. And he said this in other places. He said, You should listen to the word of God. You should not need a miracle in order to believe. A lot of people today are talking all about miracles, 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 and and talk like we've got to have some, some fantastical things happen before... People will believe in Christ. Jesus talked to these folks and he said, Look, the Old Testament talks all about me. You should believe it. And and because of that, 
I mean, essentially, they were saying, come on, Jesus, do something incredible. You know, uh, here's a sick guy, heal him and entertain us, kind of like. He said, no, I'm going to give you one sign. And that sign is the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus said, I'm going to give you one miracle that will prove my claims, and that's all I'm going to give you. Now, he may well have done some other miracles in in private between the time of Matthew 12 and, and the time of his crucifixion. But the point here is this. He said, here's the miracle that's going to prove my claims. And we know that the people who were listening to him took him seriously. You know why we know that? Because here's what they said after he was crucified and buried. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, Pilate was the the Roman governor who ruled the land, we remember that while he was alive, how that deceiver, that's what they called Jesus, he said, after three days I will rise. They got the message. They clearly knew that he claimed he would rise from the dead. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead. So this last deception would be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. The guard would have been a small detachment of Roman troops, Roman centurions, who would have been there literally to guard the entrance. The seal would have been the signet ring of Pilate, where they took mortar and pressed a seal into it. And it, obviously, if you break the seal, then you come into uh, under the condemnation of Pilate. So the question we have to answer is, did his apostles manage to overpower the Roman centurions and steal Christ's body, or did he rise from the dead? You see, because if you go to Israel today, there's no full tomb of Jesus. There's two empty ones, conflicting accounts of where he was buried, but no full one. And with the hatred that these people had, they would have had a big old engraved marker there today, and a man standing there saying, this is where Jesus of Nazareth is buried So did his apostles overpower the Roman guards and steal his body? I would say to you that the hatred of these people and the empty tomb speaks to the fact that that did not happen. But here's what I would really like you to think about today. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. I think in Acts chapter 5 we have perhaps the greatest proof of all that Christ raised from the dead. Acts chapter 5, verse 26. The book of Acts begins when Jesus leaves the earth. And the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. They are His men who carried out His ministry. And in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 26, we read this. Then the captain, that would have been the captain of the guard, went with the officers and brought them without violence, that would be Peter and others, 
for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. A riot had ensued because of the preaching of Peter and others, and, and the Roman guard was concerned there would be a riot, and the crowd would kill Peter. They would stone him out of their hatred. So the Roman guard went and got them, verse 27, and when they had brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. What they meant there was, Peter was going around preaching, you put the Son of God to death, as in you have personal responsibility. Now, Peter was a Jewish man himself. He wasn't an anti-Semite. He was saying, you folks are guilty of his blood. And, and, and these people got that. They said, you're going to make us all guilty of this. And we strictly commanded you not to teach. Verse 29, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus... The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging him on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be the Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious. And they plotted to kill them. This is a substantial difference of opinion <laughs> okay honestly i don't think we i don't think we get it a lot of times we we look back at the days of the apostle paul and we go wow weren't those great days no they were incredibly hard days they plotted to kill them <sighs> verse 34 then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was held in respect by all the people, and he commanded them to put the apostles outside. They went into executive session. And he said to them, Men of Israel, be careful about yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, a number of men, about 400, joined him, and he was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered, and it came to nothing. And what he means there is this Thutis claimed to be the Messiah. There were many men who did that. Verse 37, after this, Judas of Galilee, he rose up in the days of the census, and they drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men. And let them alone, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, you got to read that real slow because there's only one word, but it took a while. They called the apostles, and when they had beaten them, then they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, 
And they all put their tails between their legs, and they all went home and went back to fishing. Is that what it says? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, for Jesus' name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Do you do that for a lie? Do lies produce that kind of diligence? Do men take beatings for a lie? And do they do it over and over and over and over? I read a book by a man who was the, one of the highest ranking people ever taken captive during the Vietnam War. He was a, a, a fighter pilot. And he was taken captive and he was held for like five years. But he said that the torture of the North Vietnamese was so severe that they created rules for how to behave under torture. And the chief rule was this. Once you get captured, you've got to hold out for 24 hours so we can change all the codes that we use uh, in the, the frequencies that we use in communication and the codes that we use to communicate um, during combat. So you've got to hold out for 24 hours so we have a chance to get that done. Now, why did they make that rule? He said, very, very simple, you just can't hold out under torture. We see, <laughs> we see Jack Bauer on 24. You know, he takes a beating. I mean, he takes a beating every hour for 24 hours. <laughs> and he's ready to go. Okay? This fellow who actually lived it said, you just can't hold out. They're just so brutal that eventually you have to, you have to say some things uh, because human beings just can't endure that. And so they created rules. Look at these fellows right here. Okay, Over and over and over, put to shame, beaten. The Apostle Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 11, chapter 12, outlines all of the things he went through for Christ talks about how many times he was beaten with rods, how many times he was beaten with a whip. He talks about being shipwrecked. He talk, it, right down the list of all these things. Do people do that for a lie? No, they don't. And do they keep on doing it for 2,000 years? There are people in our day and age being put to death for their faith in Christ, not in America but in many other places in the world. Now, some men will put their life on the line for money. Does it look like Peter and the apostles were getting rich off this scheme? No, just the opposite. In fact, the apostle Paul talked about that, about being destitute. Why would they keep on preaching? Only one reason. They saw Jesus die, be buried, and come back to life. And not only did they see it, but they believed it. And when they believed it, God changed them. We have a proven Savior. He proved Himself by the resurrection, and He continues to prove Himself in changed lives. But we not only have a proven Savior, we have a powerful Savior. The resurrection of Christ enables our peace because... It reveals a powerful Savior. In the Old Testament, there was a key event that God referred to many times as a key demonstrator of His power, and that event was what we call the Exodus. 
And this is just one little clip of God talking about that. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. If you know your Bible, you know that Exodus 20 is where the Ten Commandments are written. And those are the words that that God put right before he gave the Ten Commandments. What's the significance? The significance is he said, look, you want to know how powerful I am? Look at the Exodus. Read about the Ten Plagues. Understand what I did, not only in the plagues, but then in bringing you across the Red Sea and bringing you on. And he says, that is the demonstration of my power. And that demonstration of power was referred to many times in the Old Testament. Here's the key demonstration of power in the New Testament. Therefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, so that the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. How powerful is God? He's powerful enough to raise Christ from the dead. And what this passage of Scripture tells us very clearly is this. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. So the question is, if God can raise Christ from the dead, and if that power is in us, then what spiritual limitations do we have? What? None. You know, the passage of 1 Corinthians 15 that we read alluded to the power of God to change lives when it mentioned Peter and Paul by name. The other apostles are not mentioned by name. Why would Peter and Paul be mentioned by name in that passage? He says, and he appeared to Peter. Those of you who know your Bible know why it would be there. Because Peter failed Christ so miserably. Right before his crucifixion when Jesus was being tried, so to speak, and, and treated so poorly. Christ, Peter is out here in the courtyard warming his hands over the fire, and, and the people there were saying, hey, you're one of his guys. And three different times he said, no, I am not. He even said so with an oath, as in, by the stars of the heaven, I am not one of his men. And after the third time that he said that, the scripture says, Jesus, from a faraway place, looked him right in the eye. He looked at him. And what did Peter do? It says he went out and wept bitterly. And so when 1 Corinthians is talking about the resurrection and how important it is, it says he appeared to Peter. You know what that means to me? That means no matter how badly you failed the Lord, he still wants to give you his peace through the transformation of the new life in Christ. And of course, Paul mentioned himself in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He stood and held the coats of the people who threw rocks and killed Stephen the evangelist. 
That's how against Christ he was. But Christ appeared to him, and of course, he appeared to him while he was walking down the road, and he went, boom, with this bright light, and he said, hey, bud, what's the problem? And they had an encounter, and Paul became a believer, and he became so transformed, he just took the gospel everywhere. There is no circumstance too powerful to keep God from you. Those who will believe in Christ can know the supernatural power of God to bring peace. We have many examples in this church of believers in Christ rising above their circumstances. One of the blessings of being a pastor is getting to hear people's stories. You know, my life used to be this way, but God intervened. Now my life's that way. Or perhaps to even walk through some things with people and and to see them struggling with difficulty but moving ahead with the Lord no matter how hard it is. This week's example is George Fujimoto. George usually sits in that zone over there. Maybe over here once in a while. George said this week, I don't know why God didn't make me man height. For those of you that don't know George, he's Japanese, and he's a, I think he said he's four foot eleven or something, or just really short. I forget how tall he is, but, but it really doesn't matter. Because at 90 years old, for the first time ever, George went to the hospital. And you know what his re- reaction to being in the hospital is with a pulmonary disease that's probably not going to go away, and he can't hardly get out of bed? You know what his re- reaction was? This is like a vacation. <laughs> this is so great here. Boy, the, the nurses are so solicitous, and, and that's his word, not mine. And they, they, boy, they come in and they bring me so much food, I can't eat it all, you know, and on and on and on. It's just the most wonderful thing. And in between that, he's talking about how, I don't think I'm going to get over this. Where does that kind of peace come from? It comes from supernatural power. I learned something about, I learned something about the death of his wife this, just yesterday from his son. His son Wayne came up from California. And uh, his son told me, my mom's family on her side, they're big time Buddhist. And, and his mom, you know, uh, five or six years ago, fell down when they were in California and hurt her head, sustained a head injury, and, and just, you know, was kind of up and down, and then basically died from the head injury. And, uh, you know, five years ago, I guess she would have been in her early 80s, maybe 85. I don't know how old she was, but in that neighborhood. But it came to a point where she was not going to get better, and her injury was, was life-threatening, And she said, I I don't want any life support or any of that stuff. I'm ready to meet the Lord. And her relatives were angry about that. You know why? Because they're not ready to meet anybody. It's the transforming power of Christ. The power that only comes from God. I am not a great person, but God has put goodness in me. I don't have peace within myself but God has given it to me as he's given it to you as he wants to give to all of you 
Now may the God of peace, the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, there's that power of the resurrection, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood, through the blood of Christ, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. May the God of peace work in you. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you who believe. And if you're here today and you've never believed, there's an opportunity for you to come to faith in Christ and to have that power. Well, there's a third thing about the resurrection of Christ that enables peace. Christ's resurrection enables peace because it reveals to us a protecting Savior. You see, not only does God provide power to live for Him, He also provides protection from all sources of harm. Peter, again, is a great example of this. And the Lord said, Peter, Peter, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. John writes the guiding principle. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Can the enemy of our souls tear into us at will? No. Can the world he controls us ruin us? No. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Satan is not the dark God. He is a created being who has a tremendous amount of power and he opposes God constantly. But when Christ raised from the dead, he completed the work of conquering sin and death. And now he is the absolutely triumphant one. And there is nothing that can come to you that doesn't go through him. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Can the circumstances of life overcome us? Not quite so sure about that one. What about death itself? I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Can death itself overpower us? No. No. How do we appropriate this peace, the proven powerful, protecting Savior, that, the peace that He wants to give. I just leave one verse with you. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's a great phrase, isn't it? It's a reference to the way they used to dress back in the day when they wore a, what we would call a Roman toga, you know, or a, a big flowing garment. When they were going to do work, the men would grab a hold of this thing and pull it up and tie it in a knot so their legs would be free to work. The loins is this whole area here, and they would grab that and tie it all up and, and get ready to do something. Because, you know, when you're wearing your bathrobe, you just can't work that good. 
Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The times when we lose our peace as Christians, and I'm talking to Christians now, we lose our peace because we rest our hope for life or eternity on other people, other relationships, other circumstances, and we rest our hope there, and then, boom, they're gone. And so is our peace. Those who don't know Christ don't even know for the first time that they're supposed to rest in Christ, and so they are constantly putting their hope for life on things and on people and on relationships. And, and those may be very nice things, you know, a husband, a wife, a child, a, a, a job, a career, a calling, nothing sinful about those things. But when you rest your peace on those things, there is no guarantee in life. But one, and that's Jesus Christ, the risen Savior who can change your life. If you rest your peace fully on him, he will not disappoint. The engine light came on in the rev wagon this week. It's been going on and off. Be on for a couple of weeks, off for a couple of weeks. I know. I like to play it dangerous. Something isn't right. I was just getting ready to take it in, and the light went off. And I thought... I am not paying the Dodds dealer to say, well, there's nothing wrong with your car, Mr. Lunsford. Yeah, you're going to find something wrong or there's going to be a problem here, buddy. <laughs> so I, I'm waiting until I'm running on three wheels before I go in. No. The engine light is on and uh, the bank account is full. And so I've made an appointment for this week. You can pray for me. Is there an indicator light blinking on your soul today? Something going, this just isn't right. You know, God does that for us. And it's a favor. It's a grace. He says, you, you, you need to work on this. I want to challenge you today. If, if there's an indicator light on your soul and it's going, come on. You don't have that kind of peace. I want to challenge you today to get that kind of peace. How do you get that kind of peace if you've never had it before? It's right here. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Christ will come in and will bring you the peace that he has promised to all who believe. The choir is going to come and sing a great hymn. While you consider the condition of your soul today. Choir, come on and sing.
bound prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that it can be well with our soul. Thank you for transforming peace, not just some smile pasted on the outside. Help us to rest fully in our Savior, knowing that by his life, by his death, and by his resurrection, he has made it possible for us to live in peace as we rest fully on Him. Father, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know that peace, help them to come and ask and say, Pastor Dave, I want to know that peace today. Help us to be a blessing to each other as we fellowship. Help us to be a blessing to our families as we gather together today. And most of all, help us to be a blessing to you by living in peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in his name.